0: Good morning. We are continuing in a series that we have titled Distorted. Take a look at wisdom sayings that are in the Bible. A Lot of good stuff here. People who believe it quote these sayings. Sometimes people quote some of the sayings that don't even believe the Bible because they're quoting it either for a reason that uh, is to their end. They quote stuff or... Maybe they just quote it because it's a they misunderstand it. We're, we've picked four specific wisdom sayings or truth sayings of the Bible that are commonly distorted for this series. And we're in the second of this series now and picking another one. And this particular quote that is often distorted is distorted by believers. It's also distorted by those who. Don't even believe, but they quote it. The one we're looking at today is the most frequently quoted verse, I believe, in the Bible by unbelievers. We hear it a lot from unbelievers, and it actually uh, is a statement of Jesus, but it is totally quoted in a distorted way, and usually quoted with an attitude. One time I received a graphic uh, representation of this quote in an email. It's a picture of a cell phone Bible, and here is what it looked like with a heading, how people in our world read the Bible today. Matthew 7, judge not. Now, um, the reason it's circled is that's all they know. The rest of it is all, you know, they don't want to really look at what the rest of it's all about. Just that one statement is quoted our direction. Now, before I continue much further, that truth is a very valuable truth that even they're trying to quote back to us because honestly, too often, we've failed at this too often we as a church come across in a judgmental way and hurt people and uh, and we kind of use the bible almost like a a a bible thumping tool it's like <clears throat> and people go don't judge me you know and they want to quote back to us back off only in Jesus' words judge not and For our own side of things, we probably need to hear that and make sure we are better at uh, really understanding what this is all about and how to handle this better. But um, this other graphic uh, picture that I want to show you was also shared with me via email. Sorry for all these email attachments. You're getting just junk mail today. But um, here's another one that I got that is uh, getting this do not judge across only... um, Here's our focus for today from Inigo Montoya. You keep using that Bible verse. I do not think it means what you think it means. Now, if you haven't seen the movie uh, Princess Bride, you don't get the humor there, but if you do get the humor there, enjoy that humor as little as it may be. That's our focus for today. It doesn't mean what you think it means, and we're gonna try to unpack this a little bit together. Before we move on, though, I have a funny question for you. How many of you... You won't think this makes any sense to what we're talking about so far, but go with me. How many of you like tofu? Whoa, way more in this service than last service. We're upwards of seven. Wow, that's pretty cool. All right. Now, here's why I asked that question. Tofu is a little bit like the word judge. In that statement, do not judge. You're thinking, wow, this is a stretch. Okay, let me just help you out here. All right. (laughs) Tofu actually takes on the flavor of the food it's cooked in. Okay, so if you take tofu and you cook it in a lot of garlic and some sauces, it takes on the flavor of garlic, at least a little bit. Did that help you? Do you like tofu yet? Okay, if you like it with gin, you you cook it in this really gingery sauce and actually the tofu tastes a little bit like ginger. It's got a change of flavor in a change of context and we're gonna actually show how the word judge has that also, it's a lot like tofu. How many of you like to be judged? Less people than like tofu, there you go. All right, now, as we move on, though, we actually talk about things like this. We say things like, um, mm, why don't you judge for yourself whether this is true? Now, did I just use that in a way that you didn't like? No, we actually use that phrase, why don't you judge for yourself whether this is true or false. That is actually a positive statement. Now we're cooking in garlic or ginger. Depending on what it is that you like, right? So that word you kind of like it when it's in the ginger. Maybe you don't like the texture of this judging word. But we do kind of look at judgment in a, in a way that's positive in a lot of arenas. For example, when Jesus says, do not judge, is it a blanket statement for ever judging? What if you're a teacher, And you got these essays, and it's your job to judge an essay as good, uh, medium good B, average good C, not so good D, or really lousy F, and it's your job to judge the essay. Here's how I feel writing an essay. Who are you to judge my essay? Essay is my thoughts. And then she says, this is English, I taught you how to write, you're using the verbs all wrong, you're using the spelling all wrong, see all the red marks, that is not subjective, you've got a C or whatever it is, right? They judge, boom, 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 boom. Wait a minute, Jesus says, do not judge, that poor teacher is sinning, (laughs) right? You see how the word is used in different contexts, and it's okay to judge in certain contexts, right? I mean... Here's an easy one, too. You're in, you've got to do it. You got your jury duty summons. You're now selected. You're on the jury, and now, oh no, but Jesus said do not judge, and I have to decide. I'm on the jury. Don't use that verse, by the way. <laughs> when they're trying to see if, oh, please don't. That's just an embarrassment if you say, is there any reason why you need to be excused from jury duty? Yes, because I can't be in a jury because Jesus says do not judge don't do that. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Obvious, right? All right, so you're pulled over on I-17. You were going 90. And the police officer says, uh, can I see your license? And you say, what? You were going 90. And you say, who are you to judge? <laughs> right? I mean, I, you were speeding faster than me to catch up to me. <laughs> right? Now, so in the different contexts, we actually see just from these absurd cases, yeah, I mean, there are some situations where you're supposed to judge. You be the judge. Right? I mean, we kind of want to be the judge, trying to evaluate whether it's OK to judge or be discerning or make a judgment about a certain scenario. We think of that positively. Now when I say, how many of you like to be the judge? You know, we want to kind of judge for ourselves. Ooh, we better be careful here. All right, we're going to take a look at the verse, and then we're going to look at some things that we've talked about last week and go over them a little bit. So here's the verse. This is from Jesus towards the latter part of his Sermon on the Mount. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, last week we went over this, so this week I, I gave you the blanks filled in. None of you are applauding, come on, that's like, all right, here's the blanks filled in on, on your outline, you don't even have to fill these in. This is from last week, we talked about one, two, three. Here's a quick way to interpret scripture. Number one, you need to understand the context. Two, you need to interpret the Bible with the Bible. Three, you need to apply what you learned. Now we talked about this last week, but I learned something since last Sunday. I learned what they did in children's church On this same topic, because we kind of go parallel together so that the kids come out and they talk with their parents, what did you learn? And we go, oh, we learned that too. And you can kind of talk to each other. So they had to explain what it means to understand the Bible in context in children's church. Isn't it good that we didn't have to explain that? Well, actually we did. But they had to explain even what distorted meant, all right? And so they had to explain these things to the children. Now, here's how they explained understanding the Bible in context. It's a, it's a way of getting a clear picture of what it means so we're going to use the 2020 vision method of understanding the scripture that 's what they taught the kids the 2020 vision do you guys know what it means to have 20 2020 vision it means we see clearly we can see really really good 2020 here's what we do we back up 20 verses from the qu- verse in question and we read all of those 20 verses and then we go forward 20 verses of the verse in question read all of those 20 verses and if you do that you're going to have a better clearer understanding of the verse in question I like that, I like it so much, we're stealing it from Children's Church, we're using it today. (laughs) All right, context. And then when we talked about interpreting the Bible with the Bible, again, if you weren't here last week, I reminded you that when Satan, the devil, came at Jesus, he quoted scripture. He quoted scripture in a distorted, out of context way. And here's how Jesus answered. He quoted other scriptures to remove the distortion. Here's Jesus' view of truth. All truth fits together without contradiction. This is completely different than our American cultural view of truth. American cultural view of truth is this. I have a truth, you have a truth. Don't mess with my truth. This is my truth, that's your truth. That's not Jesus' way of understanding truth. If there's a contradiction between your truth and my truth, one of us is wrong or both of us is wrong because truth is truth and truth doesn't contradict truth, okay? That's Jesus' way of understanding truth and it's his way of understanding the entire Bible, okay? And so we're using some of his tactics also to try to clarify when a verse Seems distorted to us by the way somebody is teaching it. Now, we need to jump into context. And so, the way that the best way that we can do this is to do the 2020 vision thing. So, I would like everybody here to open up their Bible. If you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible from the chair in front of you, turn to Matthew 7, which is, I wrote it down. On page 679, that's the passage in question. We're going to back up 20 verses and go forward 20 verses and get a 20-20 view. We're not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to let you look at some concepts and we're going to kind of clarify the distorted way of looking at do not judge. Now, just in case you don't have a Bible of your own, that Bible that you just picked out of the chair in front of you, we want to give that to you. We want you to have it. You can study some of the stuff we're looking at a little bit further uh, beyond today and keep it and write your name in it. It looks like the rest of the Bible, so you want to write your name in it and just make it your Bible. All right, so we're going to back up in the verses. Uh, So you were at 679. Go to 678 to chapter 6. I'm going to just talk us through a little bit of the major themes here. In verse two, take a look. You read the words, I'm gonna summarize. In verse two, Jesus says, when you give, don't give the way hypocrites do to be seen by people as super spiritual, okay? In verse five, he says, when you pray, don't pray the way the hypocrites do to be seen by others as super spiritual, Okay, do you see that? Verse five. Now look at verse 16. When you fast, don't fast the way the hypocrites do to be seen by other people as super spiritual. Now, given those major themes, you would expect, this isn't exactly the way it reads, but you'd expect if we're following the same theme, you would expect when you're making judgments for yourself, Judge for yourself. When you are judging, don't judge the way hypocrites do to make yourself look super spiritual. Okay, do you see how that might follow? Okay, we're not really going there yet, but let's just plant that seed. In that pattern of what the theme is all about, it would make sense that this is talking about doing these religious activities in a super spiritual, hypocritical way. Don't do that. So, At this point, it's very clear when Jesus says, do not judge, that he certainly is excluding this hypocritical, super spiritual way of being judgmental with others. Because the religious elite of his day, these people called the Pharisees, that's precisely what they majored in. I kind of like the word judgmental. It's kind of judgmental, you know? Come on, don't be judgmental. All right, so just now that you burn that image in your mind, try to forget it as quick as you can, but get the idea that it's not good to be judgmental. Jesus obviously doesn't want that tofu to toast in that space. Judging in that way is bad, okay? Clear from what he's already been saying. Now, we're going to jump forward 20 verses. That would land us on 7.20. We're gonna back up to 7.15 and work our way to 7.20. And notice what we read there in Matthew 7.15-20. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Okay, time out, time out. Jesus is saying, watch out. Some teachers are false teachers. They're false prophets. You judge for yourself. And actually he's going to say, here's what I'm going to teach you to do so that you can evaluate to see if they're true or false. Hold on, hold on. Didn't he just say don't judge? Ha! Huh? Is it every time in all cases? No, he's actually going to tell us you better be good at judging for yourself whether they are false or true. And now let me show you how. That's completely different than the way that people understand Jesus to mean do not judge. Because people, they want to use that phrase against us to say never, ever, ever tell me anything about my life that might make me feel bad about my life. Right? Well, what about this? We're using discernment to determine whether this is a false prophet or a true prophet, a false teacher or a true pre- preacher teacher. Let's keep reading. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The answer is? Hey, you guys are good. All right. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Okay, now that I've taught you, you are graduates, here's your fruit inspector graduation degree. Here you go. Now, go inspect fruit. Become a good fruit inspector to see from the fruit of their lives if what they're teaching is what they're living and if they're worth following. This fits together rather well when he just came out of hypocrisy, right? And talking about hypocrisy and now talking about don't judge like the way they judge and you can see how they judge and you can look at their lives. This is what I want you to not do, okay? So having said that, we're ready to fill in our first blank. Point number one, don't judge hypocritically. By the way, I do run into people that will say things like this. I don't go to church. The church is so filled with hypocrites. I, I just wish I had the guts to say, do you go to the gym? <laughs> you know, I've noticed at the gym, there's a lot of people that are there that aren't in shape. <laughs> I'm just saying. Isn't the purpose of going to the gym to use the gym to get into shape? So actually, the people that need to go to the gym are the people that are not in good shape. Come to church. Hypocrites come to church and hopefully we'll help them to be less like a hypocrite. Right? Hmm. Maybe someday I'll say that. All right, so don't judge hypocritically. Now, let's look at the actual section right after the verses in question. Um, in Matthew 7, we read verse 1 and 2 on the screen. Now take a look at verse 3, 4, and 5 in the Bible you have open in front of you. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now he just said don't judge. He's talking about judging. He's not comparing judging other people like you judge to see if there's a little issue in your life. Oh, I see a little speck. I really do. Ooh, look at that ugly speck and it's causing you all kinds of problems. The other person says, don't judge me. Take a look at your eye. You got a plank this big. I swear, how can you even think about looking at the speck in my eye when you got a plank hanging out? You, you have to hold up while you're looking at me. How can, can you even see my speck? I mean, that's the reaction we get from people when we judge them. He says, if you judge somebody and you're not taking care of the, pl- care of the plank in your eye, they're going to measure it right back to you. That's what Jesus is saying, but notice what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying, don't, don't, don't. You see a speck in their eye? Leave them alone. He didn't say that. He didn't say, leave them alone. He says, help them, but first, make sure that you're taking care of the plank in your own eye before you try to help with a speck in theirs. Okay, let's read it just to make sure I'm not slaughtering this. Isn't that what he's saying? So they... Uh, Pay attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Do you see the common theme here in the whole judging thing? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So judge for yourself. Does the Bible say never judge? No, actually it says don't judge hypocritically. That's what this whole section is all about, okay? Point number two, don't judge superficially. All right, now we're gonna go kind of all over the Bible because we're, we're coming out of context now and in interpreting the Bible with the Bible, and so I'm gonna put them on the screen now for you. All right, so John chapter seven, verse 24 reads, stop judging. By mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So we have stop judging by mere appearances. But did you notice it doesn't say don't judge? Notice here it says, ah, what does it say? Judge correctly. So apparently there is a way that you can judge correctly as you judge for yourself what to do in a situation that's judging correctly and if it's not hypocritically and it's not superficially and it's according to what's really going on instead of according to what you interpret what's going on and you can really be a help to somebody, now you're making a correct judgment. Okay? To get at this idea, I want to tell you a story. It comes out of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, a book by Stephen Covey. I'm just going to read a story that he tells about himself. A man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. Been there. Not on a subway. It was an airplane. Maybe you've been there too, right? And, and you're thinking, oh no, there's five babies on this airplane. Hope I get a seat in the back and they're all in the front. Right, you've been there? Okay. Okay. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing. And yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he could be so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated. So finally, with what I felt was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little bit more. (laughs) The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, oh, you're right. I guess I should be doing something about it. You see, we we just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think. And I guess they don't know how to handle this situation either. Can you imagine what I felt at that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly, I saw things differently. And because I saw differently, I thought differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior or my heart was filled with pain for the man. Feelings of sympathy and compassion just flowed freely. Your wife just died? Oh, I'm so sorry. Can I do anything to help? What just happened there? A superficial judgment by appearances only was eliminated the distortion when suddenly it's like not superficial anymore. We're getting right down to what is really going on. And now he could judge the situation completely differently. He just entered into judging by mere appearances, into judging correctly. Jesus says, come on, folks. Stop judging by appearances. See past the hurt. See past the brokenness. See past the mess. Look down into the heart and soul. See somebody the way God sees them. And honestly, the only way I know how this can possibly work for us is if we completely understand how God sees us that he saw past our pain, past our hurt, past our brokenness, right down into something valuable that he created in there. We're created in his image, and he's redeeming, restoring, loving, offering mercy, grace, help. Only when we're receivers of that kind of grace are we able to see other people in their messes with that kind of grace, judging more correctly, judging the way Jesus judges instead of the way the Pharisees judge. Point number three. Don't judge outsiders by rules for insiders. Paul wrote a lot of letters to churches to help churches get a hold of this concept and in this uh, first one we're looking at is in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, we read, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Notice that he's talking about judging in both situations. In one situation, he says, don't judge. In another situation, he says, do judge. How do we make sense of this? Well, the whole thing that we are together on, when we start talking about where somebody is off or wrong or living with a speck, anytime we start talking about that kind of stuff, we're really trying to express to an insider what is going on with their life. Let me put it this way. Let's just say you're at work, and there's a guy at work that's a real um, hmm, flirty guy, and you know he's married. You don't know him that well, But you actually hear things from some of the co workers that you work with, and they're really kind of put off by him because he's too flirty with them, and they know he's married, and he's too flirty, and you're wondering, you know, I don't really know him. I'm just going to, I'm not going to try to confront him or anything. That's just not where I'm going. Let's change that circumstance just slightly, and let's say that you do know the guy. Let's say that he is your best friend. Let's say that you went to his wedding and witnessed the vows that he expressed and his wife expressed to one another and you're watching this guy flirty at work. Let's just add another element. You are in the same church together. You are in the same small group together. He is representing Christ and claims to be a Christian. And he's a flirty guy that's putting all these people off, and they're saying stuff like, I'm never going to that church if that's the church he's going to. Okay, now, are you to judge him? Paul says, Are you not to judge those on the inside? Now, you're gonna need to do the 2020 vision thing for this chapter because he's addressing a situation far, far worse than that. And he's saying, You need to address this situation. Don't go with the hyper grace. Scenario where you're so proud of your grace that you never speak truth. And he gets into that in that chapter. Okay? Where we're we love everybody. It doesn't really matter what you do, we never really touch those things. The rules, though, are not for everyone, so that we just judge, we judge him. You're too flirty. You're a jerk. Who are you to say whether I'm flirty or not? I don't even know who you are. Back off, right? They're an outsider, but with an insider, your best friend, hey, what, Joe, what are you doing? If your wife saw you doing that, wouldn't she be hurt? Do you know where this is going? What are you doing? Do you know what people think of you? You even talk about church. You talk about Christ. What, what is going on here? What's going on in your heart? What, is your life, what it, why is that coming out? What's going on? That is not just a right. It's a responsibility to those particularly who have built a relational bridge with somebody. That relational bridge is there so that you, you may be the one that's supposed to take a kind of a, a sensitive truth across the relational bridge that's built, and that relational bridge gives you the ability to take a difficult truth across to them, Okay? Point number four, help restore people gently. Help restore people gently. Paul says in Galatians 6 verse 1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Gently. Now, the easy out would say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's not me because I'm, I'm not walking by the Spirit. Pfft. Cop out. Then walk by the Spirit. Walk with God. See things the way God sees things. Enter into this situation. A person that not, is not walking by the Spirit, here's what they do. They will go, did you hear about so-and-so? Hey, he's, he's all. Instead of restoring somebody gently one-to-one, We talk about them. We try to get a little bit more people to talk about them. Maybe somebody that I talk to, maybe they can talk to him. Hello. This is talking about you. If you've built a relationship with somebody, you need to talk to them and do it gently. But watch yourself or you may be tempted. And here's the biggest temptation, I think. The biggest temptation is you feel like you've got it together. And so you talk down at the person that doesn't have it together. Now you're doing precisely what Jesus said not to do. You're judging exactly the way the hypocrites do. To sound super spiritual, like you got it together and he doesn't have it together, that's not a gentle approach. That's a hypocritical approach. Now here's another danger. You feel particularly mm, compelled to speak harshly to a sin in another person that you know you have that sin to. And so you're speaking a little bit more harshly than usual because you know what's inside of you as well. Now be careful there. Pull the plank. Be gentle with grace. Having said that, now I want to describe two kinds of churches. First, let's uh, finish this section because there's a verse two I want to read. Verse two we read, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now by the way, in the, Earlier verse, says, if, if a person is caught in a sin, in our culture, it's like, sin? You, you calling me a sinner? Who are you to call me a sinner? Come on. Don't judge me. I mean, that's right where they live. That's if you take it to the outside. If you take it to the insider, you can say, uh, I'm not judging you. I'm not calling it a sin. Just take a look right here. It says right here, this is what you're doing. What, what do you read right here? Can you read this right here? Is that good or is that bad? It's called a sin, isn't it? Okay, let's just work this through. This is for your benefit, not my benefit. This is hard. Let's just talk this through. Let me get, what kind of support do you need from me right here? I just want to help you. I really do. I'm for you. Now, I want to describe two different kinds of churches. I want to use two labels. They're not normal labels of churches, but let's just do this. Over here, we're going to call this the Teflon Church, okay? Over here, we're going to call this the Velcro Church, all right? The Teflon church is the church that people come to and nobody sticks, all right? The Velcro church is the church that you come to and everybody sticks. sticks. What is the difference between the Teflon church and the Velcro church? Let me just describe that for you. In the Teflon church... People are a lot like the Pharisees. They dress up, they look good, they feel pretty well cleaned up, and they get together and talk about how good things are with them and how bad the world is out there, and man, it's, the world is going to hell in a handbasket and blah, blah, blah. I'm so glad that we're all together and we got our lives together, in this great. Then somebody who actually needs to go to church because they're out of shape, they come to church, and then all these Teflon cleaned up, already cleaned up believers look at them like, "Who? Oh, why are you here? you're like messing this place up, right? And it doesn't take long. They don't have to start a whisper campaign. They don't have to go to the pastor and say, hey, you need to get rid of the riffraff. They don't have to do any of that because by the way they look at and treat the person who's coming that looks like they could really use what church has to offer, they're not getting it from the Teflon squeaky clean people that love to think about their lives as already clean and we've got a great group here. I also like to call this the us for no more church, but anyway. Um, Over here we got the Velcro church. In the Velcro church, people show up and they hear this amazing news about the good news of grace in Jesus Christ, that there's love, there's forgiveness, there's acceptance, and it's not just words. As they're entering into the church, people treat them with respect. It doesn't really matter what they look like or what they know about them. I'm so glad you're here and they're treated with respect. And then they hear a message about love, acceptance, and goodness, and and forgiveness, and then they start to receive it and see it lived out. This Velcro church, actually they act more like Jesus, less like the Teflon church that acts more like the Pharisees. In the Velcro church, by the way, the Pharisees look at that church and they go, oh, that church is a mess. All they do is talk about grace, 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 grace. They never talk about truth. And I say, excuse me? Sorry, did I say that? Mm. I shouldn't judge. Uh, no, we talk about truth. We, yes, we go wide with open arms of Jesus and tell the truth of acceptance and grace and love. But man, we go deep and we talk about sin. We talk about truth and we build bridges. And actually, it's not just the platform. All the people are coming around and saying, How can I help you? What can I do? You need a job? You need this? You need that? And they're rallying around these people because they know they need to carry each other's burdens. Because if they don't carry their burdens, it's just words. And you know what is really interesting about this church? It is filled with people who are messy. And everybody over here wants everybody in the mess to get fixed really fast. As soon as they're baptized, no more messes allowed. If you have a mess and we're coming down your throat because now you're a believer, (laughs) Try to write that one out on your notes. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and so there's this uh, wanting immediate change. Here's what Jesus knows. He came for those who know they're sick. And he also knows this about human beings. Human beings do not change really fast. Grace enters in. They start to feel the healing love and forgiveness and mercy. And it's best administered by the person that just came from there. I know what it's all like. I'm totally messed over myself. I used to be far worse than you. My life was, and then describe it, but you know what? I've made some progress. I'm so glad I'm not where I used to be, but man, I got a long ways to go. That's truth, that's honest, and it's describing a journey. Come with me. And now this person is so wanting to come back because they want more truth. They're receiving grace. Let me describe Jesus as described by John the Apostle in John chapter one, verse 14. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And in that order, I believe. If you're full of grace and truth, you're full of both. But it was said in this order, grace and truth. Let's go grace first. Relationship, build a relationship, build a bridge, bring the truth across that bridge because now they know they, you care for them. You're gonna help them. You're gonna carry their burden. You've been praying for them and they know it. You can just bring harder truths. What about this? Jesus said this. Are you ready to take this step? And then people come along. This is the church that looks like Jesus, Velcro. I want grace, and I want grace for you, and I want Jesus to help you, and I will walk alongside you with Jesus to help you make the steps of change, and I understand it's not easy. I'm not fixed yet either. I haven't arrived, but I'm so glad I left where I was. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for loving us, for giving us grace, for giving us truth. Help us to be more like you. We step in your direction. We open our hearts. We confess to you, I'm messed up. I'm not there yet. But I sure love the fact that you love me. I want to walk with you. I'm following you. What I know about you, I'm following. Give me more. In Jesus' name, amen.